Hebrews chapter 12. Remember, this is the Holy Spirit speaking, the author of the Word of God. The men, writers, were the instruments. The Holy Spirit is the author. Chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for doing that very thing for us. And even as we're coming into close now to the Christmas and in this season and Lord Jesus, we just declare you are the reason for this season, and we rejoice. Your word says that you didn't consider equality with the Father something to be held on to, but you made yourself nothing and appeared as a man, even as a a baby, a small child, humbled yourself. You suffered, you died, and every day, I mean, rather, uh, someday, Lord, every a knee will bow, every tongue will confess that You are Lord. I just pray that, Lord, that would be the, the cry of our and the declaration of our hearts and lives today, Lord, as we leave this place and go out, that You are Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so last week we finished up Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, 11, otherwise called the faith chapter. I believe the chapter really centered around the verse, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We want to learn about faith because we want to please God. And we have, as we've made our way through chapter 11. And one thing we learned was the first 35 verses, as we saw, the first five, uh, 35 verses of Hebrews chapter 11 describe some of the wonderful victories, the astonishing deliverances that can occur when a man or woman, any man or woman, steps out in faith, just starts walking in the calling that the Lord has set out before them. How through the prayer of faith and the life of faith, the very heavens are just shaken up and the power of God can be poured out. Chapter 11, verses 33 through 35 summarize the first part of this chapter very well. It says uh, that these men and women of faith who through, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens or the enemies. 
But now, as we talked about last week, the last five verses of this chapter describe something very different. In verses 35 through 40, there's a description of men and women with the same kind of faith as the men and women who were described in the first 35 verses. Same kind of faith. Only there was no deliverance from their trial. Just as the men and women described in the first 35 verses of the chapter, uh, these men and women stepped out in faith against enormous odds. But there was no deliverance. God chose not to deliver. Verses, uh, picking up in the, actually in the middle of verse 35, this summarizes it the best. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Verse 36, still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and to chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, afflicted, tormented. So sometimes, many times, we learn that God chooses for you, for me, for us to live by faith where there is no deliverance. He chooses to be glorified in the lack of deliverance, glorified in the midst of the trial, in the suffering of His children. There will be times in your life where the Lord chooses not to deliver, or rather not to deliver immediately. And His desire is to use you in that. When the world sees you persevere with your Lord in the suffering, in the trial, in the absence of deliverance, God will be glorified. How is it that she can walk through that trial in the way that she is? How is it that He can have that kind of joy in that suffering? It's her Lord. It's His Lord. Now, I believe chapter 11 wasn't really supposed to end in verse 40. Now, as many of you know, the the numbers of the chapters and the verses weren't added for about a thousand years after the letter, uh, letter, all actually the entire Bible, was written. uh, And... I'm quite certain that the writer would not have chosen to end the chapter in verse 40 because in verse 2, the supreme example of all human history of a man whom, uh, for whom no deliverance was chosen, no deliverance from the cross, the most shameful, gruesome death at that time. In fact, it was against the law to crucify a Roman, only foreigners or slaves could be crucified. 
And yet this man, Jesus Christ, by faith, persevered in the lack of deliverance. And by doing so, glorified God in the most imaginable way, so much so that the heavens just burst out in praise uh, to this very day and for all eternity because of it. And by doing so, the Bible says, He brought many sons to glory. And He's bringing you and me to glory. Because by faith, He accepted God's choice, the Father's choice of of no deliverance. So verse 2 of chapter 12 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, so often is the case that God is glorified more when the world sees you by faith persevering in suffering, in pain, than when the world sees you by faith with a great victory on your hands. God is gracious to give us both, but so often the former has a greater impact Uh, than the latter. Certainly, the cross is the supreme example of that. So let's pick back up in uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So the writer is here referring to all the lies that we described and we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. And he's saying, therefore... Since we have all these awesome examples of lives of ordinary men and women who by faith persevered in the calling that God laid out for them, therefore let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the church receiving this letter was not doing well in their walk with the Lord. They were drifting from the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift. They were drifting. They were neglecting. And chapter 2, verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect uh, so great a salvation? They were neglecting. They were departing. Uh, uh, from a walk close to the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 says, You have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought not to be teachers, rather you ought to be teachers, You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come need of milk. You have come need of baby food rather than solid food. We read about in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11. And in Hebrews 6 verse 12 it says, We desire that you do not become sluggish and lazy, slothful, the King James says. And so in chapter 12 the writer by the Holy Spirit 
remember, again, he's the author of this letter, says this, listen guys, it's time to take action. You need to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles. So what does weight mean? What does that word weight mean? Lay aside the weight. What are these weights that he is talking about here? Well, weights are certain things that become a part of our lives. That are not sin, but they make us unfruitful. Weights, things that make us unfruitful, not sin. Some of you this morning are so weighted down by certain stuff. Stuff. It's not sin, but they're weighing you down to the point where you become dried up and, and utterly unfruitful. And oh, how the church in the United States of America. This has become so weighted down. Men and women who are genuinely born again. People who if they take a, they, they take a sin inventory of their life, there really is not really anything there. There's, they, they're not ensnared in any sin. Oh, they may stumble and fall in this area or that area. Uh, no Christian this side of heaven is going to live a sinless life. But... Uh, there's no real sin that they're ensnared in, but they're weighted down. But they take their sin inventory, they don't check off anything, and they get comfortable in that. They're getting comfortable because they're a moral, M-O-R-A-L, person. But their lives are weighted down. They are weighted down in their job. The way they're caring about their job. They're weighted down in some relationship or relationships. They're weighted down in a hobby. They're doing some entertainment. In and of itself, the entertainment may be harmless, but the time spent in this entertainment has become a Wait, and it's preventing them from being in the race that God has set out for them. So what are you weighted down by? The term there is a reference to runners at the time, Olympic runners who trained uh, running uh, with weights, but before the race they freed themselves of all the weights. What is it that's dragging you down in the race that God, the verse says, verse 2, verse 1 rather, has set before you? He's set before you. Every single one of you, if you've asked Jesus in your life, He has set a race that is unique to you, that is unlike any other race that any Christian has. He's set it before you. What is it that's weighing you down, dragging you down? T. 
TV, movies, video games, internet, blogging, sleeping, reading magazines, novels, the time spent with sports, talking on the phone, doing the email thing, time spent in shopping and in fashion, getting beautiful, getting ripped, checking out cars. Leisure, travel, whatever. Do you find yourselves frustrated that there's not more fruit in your life? Could it be that you're weighted down? Now, I don't know what your weight is. It's none of my business. It's no one's business other than yours, between you and the Lord. And what may be a weight for me may be perfectly fine for you. What may be a weight for you may be perfectly fine for me. Listen, you need to be in the race unhindered. Unhindered. Without being weighted down. You know, maybe you know exactly this morning uh, what it is uh, that I, that really the, is in your life. You know, I'm speaking here and all, something came to mind. And you're like, that's it. If so, you need to lay it aside. This is the Word of God. This is serious business. This is life or death business. Perhaps this morning you're sensing that there's something you're just not sure. Seek the Lord about it. Ask Him, Lord, what do, I, what do I need to lay aside in my life? What do I need to carve out? What do I need to allow you to prune out? God loves you. And supremely, these weight things, they get in between you and a love relationship with the Lord. You know, I love being a pastor. I really do. I just thrive in it. I love teaching. I love shepherding. I love being a part of all the ministries that the Lord is, has been raising up. I love going down to Peru, down to Haiti, trying to get to Ireland this summer, and, and just the Calvary kids in the Sunday school. I don't know about the nursery, but uh, anyway. But I love being a, a, a pastor. But let me tell you something that really discourages me. It just, it just discourages me. It just brings my heart down. It makes it heavy. And it happens on a fairly regular basis. When someone comes up to me and they, they say something like this. Now, Steve, I, I got a funny kind of question. It's really not that big of a deal, but, you know, uh, I was just wondering, is it okay to read People magazine? I do. I read it. And, and it's not like I love it. It's, I just do it to relax. You know, some people go to the gym and to relax. But I like just to kick back and read People magazine. Is that a sin? (laughs) 
when I get questions like that. It's so discouraging to me. Because I'm talking with a person who just doesn't get it. I'm talking with a person who, who's doing the sin inventory list. I'm talking to a person who only knows religion. They don't know relationship. Jesus came to destroy religion. He, he, he spent his time on earth speaking about two things supremely. Number one, speaking about religion, man-made religion, and how evil it was. And number two, speaking about relationship and the glorious relationship that you and I can have with Him. If only we set aside our man-made religion and, and give our lives to Him. And, and so here's the deal. If your life or my life consists of checking off a bunch of boxes, you know, let me see. I'm going to go through all the things in my life and I'm just going to check off whether they're sin or not. And, and you know, hmm, you know, this one. I don't think so. No. Hmm. Well, what about this one? Maybe for other people. It's not sin for me. I can handle it. How about this one? Uh, no. And this one. No. And this one. No. You know, this type of thing. If that describes you, let me tell you this morning, you got religion. You don't have relationship. Jesus endured the cross despising the shame so you could have relationship, so you could trash the religion in your life. So when the Son of Man is, Jesus said, when the Son of Man sets you free, you're free indeed. So listen, please, 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 don't be asking me, yourself, or anyone else. Don't ask yourself, hmm, I wonder if this is sin. Ask Jesus. Ask your Lord. Jesus, is this something that you want me to do? He may say, People magazine. Yeah, I want you to do it. I'd be absolutely stunned if he didn't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't ask yourself, is this thing a sin? Ask Jesus, is this going to build me up, Lord? Don't ask yourself, is this a sin? Ask Jesus, is this going to draw me near to you or away from you? Is it going to free me up to serve you? Or is it going to weigh me down? Because, Lord, if it's going to weigh me down, I'm going to lay it aside. That's relationship. That's the abundant life with Christ, with Jesus. That's the dialogue that the Lord wants with you and me just throughout the day. He's not some far distant God. He came to earth to show you who He is. And now you can... Ask Him into your heart and He can literally live inside of you. The last chapter of 2 Corinthians says, do you not realize that Jesus Christ lives within you? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. Now, so there are certain things in our life which aren't sin, but they weigh us down. 
and we need to lay them aside. But there are things in our life which ensnare us, which are sin, which we also need to lay aside. That word ensnare, the NIV uses the word entangled. I prefer that uh, translation, although I like ensnare too. It's the Greek word euperistatos, carries with it uh, the idea of being surrounded. Think about a pack of wolves surrounding a deer. But really, I do. I, I like all three of these words. But it's, it ensnares. This is what sin does. It ensnares. It entangles. It surrounds. It encircles. It envelops. It ensnares. If you're flirting around uh, with someone you shouldn't be, eventually you'll find your heart ensnared, meaning suddenly trapped like one of those steel jaw traps they use in the, uh, in the woods to catch wild animals. Ensnared. Entangled. Maybe you're not flirting around with someone. That doesn't describe you at all. You are flat out fully engaged in a sexual relationship outside of marriage. That sin will entangle you and everyone around you. I can't begin to describe to you just the quagmire, the complex web of problems and issues, the entanglement of, of, of problems that people get, get caught up in because they have chosen the path of sin. You know, we're in the middle of the hospital district here. And we've had the privilege of ministering to a number of families who have had a loved one in critical care, the ICU. And I'm not a doctor, so I don't, didn't really know much at all about ICU, intensive critical unit, intensive care unit. But the ICU floor in hospitals, the intensive care unit, I just can't tell you how crazy like complex some of these cases get. Where an entire team of doctors from this vast array of specialties are converging on a, on a single patient whose life is hanging in the balance and they have, uh, the patient has just a, a, a life a multitude of life-threatening conditions that are all occurring at the same time. Uh, and, you know, what started off with a heart problem uh, led to some infection that they may have gotten in the hospital or whatever. That The infection got into the bloodstream. And then, th- 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 because the infection got in the bloodstream, a kidney failed. A, a blood clotting happened in the, bl- uh, in the brain. Different type of... Uh, of stuff that, that for whatever reason in their body is not healing correctly and or the patient's not responding to, to medication. This is all happening at the same time and, and the patient, I mean, is in outright trauma and you're looking at it and there's just this vast, complex web of issues and, and you're thinking, what is going on here? How on earth is all this going to be sorted out? And sin is just like that. 
Something starts off as a harmless fling, turns into a full-on sexual relationship, which leads to some kind of uh, violence in the home. Someone loses their job because they're doing something stupid in the relationship. Uh, someone else goes crazy with alcohol, goes out and gets uh, uh, in a terrible car crash. Kids get involved. One of them gets suicidal. Another starts imitating the sinful behavior of the parents. Another starts doing drugs. And all of a sudden, it's this bewildering mass of issues that entangles Lay aside the sin that so easily entangles. And you ask yourself, how on earth did all this happen? Sin. Any wonder why God hates sin? Any wonder why He sent His Son? The Bible says to be crushed as a punishment for our sin, so the penalty and the power of sin would be done away with. Is there any wonder? God hates sin because He loves us. He hates sin because He loves you. He hates it because it ensnares, it entangles, it surrounds, it envelops. Listen, God didn't create you. He didn't save you to be entangled in a multitude of, in a big web of consequences of, because of sin. That's not why He saved you. He has something so much better in mind for your life. He saved you to be in a race. Lay aside every weight the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race which is set before us. Now, I know that some of you are here unconvinced or you're not connecting the dots. You have some kind of sin issue that you're holding on to. By the way, I don't want to single out sexual sin. Please don't do that. Please don't be lulled into some uh, false sense of security because that's not it. But whatever the case may be, some kind of sin issue in, in your life. And you listen to this, what I'm describing, this uh, incredible entanglement that it created. And, and then you consider your own sin. You're like, there's no way it's ever going to happen. Not this sin, not my thing, Steve. The thing that I'm involved with. It will never re- create that kind of mess. And anyway, my thing, it's just a really a private thing uh, with me, and it doesn't really affect anyone else. I know it's probably not good for me, but it's not harming anyone else. Yes, it is. It's harming people. Let me ask you this. Could it be that your sin, your refusal to obey, your lack of faith and obedience in this one area, this attitude that you're carrying towards this sin, could it be that it's the one thing that is preventing the heavens opening up and the power of God being poured out in the city of Boston? You know, John Wesley, he said this, you give me a hundred men who
who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen, they alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon the earth. You know, we've got a lot of people in our church body here at Calvary Chapel in the city. They're on fire for Jesus Christ. But I ask myself, what if we had five more? What if we had 50 more? What if we had a hundred more? What if we had one more? Would God open up the heavens and pour out His power? Would he, would we see an awesome display of the power of God in Boston? Would we see people running to the Lord in repentance, longing for a changed life, longing for salvation, for purpose in their life, longing to serve the Lord? You know, I am in the book of Mark in my own devotion time in chapter one and it says that Jesus uh, at that time was ministering in the city of Capernaum. He was inside the house of the Apostle Peter. He was ministering there and he had been declaring the word of God. He had gone into the temple and had declared the word of God in Capernaum. And it says the people were astonished uh, by what they were hearing. And he so he was in this house and he's ministering the people. And it says in chapter one, verse 33 of, of, of the book of Mark, it says the whole city gathered together at the door of the house to see him. The whole city. Could it be that if we, or if one more person, five more people, 50 more people, threw off every weight, every weight that they know is, is, is dragging them down in the race that God has set before them. If, if they lay aside the sin that they know is there, that they think is, think is harming no one else, could it be that if they lay it aside, that we'd have the whole city of Boston gather around the doors of the church in this city? Around the churches in our area, in the Boston metropolitan area. Could it be that if you and I just lay aside the waste, the wasted time, the sin that so easily ensnares and, and dedicate ourselves to, to prayer, to interceding on behalf of the city, to uh, being and diving into the Word and being uh, just zealous and involved in, in running that race in the good works that God has prepared beforehand, the Word of God says, for us to do. Could it be that that would happen? It wouldn't be the first time. We're just a, a handful of people agreed to throw off the weight that so, uh, and the sin that's so easily entangled that revival was brought into the land. That's my prayer. You know, we pray for revival every single week in this church. Every single week on Thursday nights. You want to join them? They're over in Dorchester at the house of James and Lori Hopper praying for revival. That is why I came into this city. To wait on the Lord and declare the Word of God and put my hand to the plow along with other men and women who the Lord gathers about the church and laying aside the weight and the sin that so easily entangles and ensnares. Notice how it says, run, in verse 1. And let us Run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love the picture of an athlete running. 
1 Corinthians 9.24 says, run in such a way that you win the prize. The focus, the desire, the concentration of a runner. Nothing against you joggers, but it doesn't say jog. You ever see a person jog, you know? Hey, Frank. (laughs) Oh, you know, this type of thing. I remember, you know, I was a cross-country runner in high school, and man, one time, one time this woman said, so how often do you jog? (laughs) Jog. I don't jog. And you look up the word jog in the dictionary, and, and this is what it says, to run at a leisurely slow pace. Man, that's not what I do. The second definition, to go in a desultory or humdrum fashion. How many people used that word in the last week? Desultory. How many people heard it for the first time this morning? The race that the Lord has before us is none of that. Paul says, the Apostle Paul says that I beat my body. It's, it's actually a term used for boxers at the time. He beats up on his flesh even as he's running. He's got his eyes on the prize. There's focus there. There's desire. There's concentration. And he's cut out. The runner cuts out every weight that entangles. Every sin that so easily ensnares. And what do you do as you're running this race? Verse 2, you look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, sometimes it's easy to remember Jesus is the author. We forget He's the finisher. The Bible says that God will complete that which He started in you. who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. I heard a wonderful message on that, that piece, of that, that, that phrase there. Who for the joy that was before Him endured the cross. How You know, Jesus, He's taught at Solomon's portico. You will see that in the Gospels. Well, six months after Jesus died, the Apostle Peter also preached in Solomon's portico. And what happened? 3,000 men and women came to the Lord in a single day. Jesus knew He could see that. He could see men and women hurting, broken by sin, entangled by it, ensnared by it, surrounded by it. Like a pack of wolves surrounding a deer. He could see each of them coming to the Lord within six months period. Why? Because He died and He rose again. And that gave him joy. That gave him just tremendous joy. It's with a joy that was, that was set before him, he endured the cross. I love the verse in the book of Jude. Which says, Now to him, Jesus Christ, who is able to keep you 
from sinning and stumbling, meaning stumbling off the race or stumbling in the race, and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. It says with joy that was because of the joy that was set before him he endured the cross he despised the shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of god we see that phrase over and over again in the book of hebrews how jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of god what does it represent it means the work it represents that the work's finished He sat down. You and I can't add to the work. We can't work our own way into heaven. There is no work that you can do. No good work. No good deed. He accomplished all the good deeds on the cross. And then He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the reason for the season, and today I want, it's just my prayer, so I want every man and woman and child in this room to be seeking the Lord. And this is not something I want, that doesn't matter what I want, the Lord wants you to be seeking. What is it? What weight is dragging me down? What is the sin that so is easily ensnares me just so I can lay it aside and see what the Lord will do in my life, the life of my church, and the life of my city, my country? The worship team can come up. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just thank you. We thank You, Lord Jesus. Your Word says that it is You, Lord Jesus, who is able to keep us from stumbling in the race. It's You who got us started, Lord, who saved us and got us started in the race. It's You who are able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of Your glory with exceeding joy. We, I, we pray, Lord, I pray that every man and woman in here would get a, a sense of Your joy. Your joy at seeing them thrive in the race, at seeing them serve You, at seeing them laying aside every way. Your joy at seeing them saved from sin. Your joy at seeing them turning away from the sin that so easily entangles, that ensnares, that surrounds, and turning to You. The joy that You have just being in a relationship that's unhindered with them. I pray that You give us all, Lord, today, a sense of that joy that You have for us. God, all of, the, all of this is impossible without You doing a work of grace in us. Lord, some of us have tried to lay aside this or that thing 
a hundred times. And we just come before you, Lord, just declaring in agreement, we're powerless to lay it aside. But we believe your word. It says you give us the grace. And you don't put us into, into any temptation or trial or issue that we cannot but overcome by your strength. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need you, Lord. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.